Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to learn who they are, what they do, and why they do it. My guest today is Bryce Clark. Welcome, Bryce. How are you this evening? Hi, Craig. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. well. My, my pleasure. I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Um, I, I'm always torn. There's sometimes I have things that I really want to make sure that the guests talk about, and sometimes I'm just like, I don't know, I'll follow you. But I, I kind of think I had this is sort of a rare chance for me to like, let's talk a little bit about par, about parkour in New York City. Um, you know, like in three words or less, describe all of them. Uh, but I'm just wondering, there are people all over the world, right, who look at New York City, you know, as it's the big apple, it's New York City. And I lose sight of the fact that it's quite a privilege of mine that I can just go there. Um, and there are a lot of people, obviously, who are in New York City that do parkour. But just if you had to, like, you know, take me on a tour of, like, what is parkour like in the city? Like, how are the spaces? How are the, you know, what does it feel like to be in this city that never sleeps, to be cliche uh, and to be jumping on shit? Um, I mean, there's, there's literally, there's literally jumps. I don't want to say spots, but there's jumps everywhere with the way the city and the architecture is designed. Um, and then, you know, let alone, you have a lot of playgrounds that are designed specifically with challenges that, uh, I think only parkour eyes would be able to see, Mm. uh, certain perspectives would be able to see. So maybe even rock climbers would look at certain uh, architectural designs of like children's playgrounds and be like, Oh, that looks like a V five. Right. Or something. So I think, um, <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I think a lot of our public spaces are conducive to play. Like, I don't want to say play cause we definitely need more, but like a lot of our spaces are conducive to like multi-use because, um, New York can only really build up. We don't, we can't build out like LA because of the boroughs and the way the city is set up. So um, I think they're constantly reinventing ways to create space where they can like manifest as much as possible within a small area, but still make it feel like it's open or there are definitely sections where certain uh, things can happen like sitting areas or uh, a designated walkway paths. But again, just those type of like priorities when designing a space i think caters to parkour spots or parkour jumps because um the way things are so condensed and small sometimes they'll put seating areas very close to uh, uh, like a fountain which you know could present like a running precision gap right um Mm. and then you always have scaffolding everywhere so scaffolding just uh promotes everywhere sometimes it stays up forever and sometimes it's up for like six or eight months and then it's down but um there have been spots in new york where it was a great spot before and then scaffolding has gone up for six or eight months or a year period and the spot becomes uh enhanced with more capabilities and like more challenges because the scaffolding is providing things that weren't there before, which usually entails swinging or lachets or mm-hmm. um, pole cats or, you know, bar work type stuff. Uh, and I think New York uh, uh, has kind of a monopoly on like always re- trying to like reinvigorate spaces, uh, especially like public ones. Although um, I think they, the one downside is they keep, 
changing the same ones over and over, whereas there are spaces that could definitely use renovation and like work that seem to be um, put on, yeah, put on like the back burner of the project list, you know? So the one qualm is that the same spots seem to be changed, but the ones that are great, that may be decrepit or the ones, the areas that are, are great potential don't seem to always get the most uh, attention they deserve. And I guess, you know, we could prelude that with, we could prelude into that with like what parkour and NYC was kind of like meant to do, which was create a sense of community within the city um, that would eventually get us recognized through a guerrilla type of marketing means uh, that we exist and that there was a need for these kind of spaces, especially as time moves on and this becomes more of a normal thing. Uh, today I was at the new parkour park that laps at designed by the sanctuary spot. So mm-hmm. it's almost done, but the bars and everything are all set up. So we have one in Betsy Head, Brooklyn, and this one will be in the Upper West Side, which is great because it definitely says on the map, new parkour area. So they're using the word, which is already right. to me like, okay, we're, we're breaking the glass ceiling, right? Yeah, really. Um, so, uh, and to do that in America with the whole, you know, uh, I'm going to sue my bathroom maker because I slipped in my own tub <laughs> mentality. Um uh, I think that's definitely uh, a, a big stride forward. But Parkour NYC was always meant to be uh, a community-driven think tank engine, philanthropic, gluten-free, vegan. The goal was to uh, – I, I started training before Parkour NYC was, I guess, the thing. It was, you know, it was it wasn't Parkour NYC, but there was uh, Exo, Thomas, Shaw, Mike. It was uh, Oasis. Um, it was New York Parkour, NYPK, that type of thing. And we were doing jams on Saturdays. Uh, fast forward, we all grow up a little bit, so we all kind of get a little bit more responsibility added with, you know, our current situations in life, and we don't train as much like we used to. And I wanted to bring that back. So I just was like, let's do Saturday jams. And then I was like, hashtag Parkour NYC. And it took off from there. And I just made an Instagram page with the whole mindset um, being like, I'll create this thing and I'll be kind of like the low key head of it without promoting myself as it, but I'll promote it as Parkour NYC and a collective. That way, eventually, we can be seen by people as, you know, whether it's the government. New York city government where it's like, okay, like they're skaters, they need a skate park or else they're just going to keep skating on city hall <laughs> and yelling right? at them to go away. So let's just allocate some money so we can make them go away forever, but we'll also give them what they want. <laughs> now, um, I think we're getting that a little bit with the parkour park, but parkour NYC was just meant to build awareness while also allowing me to still be able to feel like I did when I started training at jams, which was like, you know, it's fun. It's, it's all about progressing and, not being too hard on yourself and chilling with everybody and having a good time. So while trying to maintain staying true to that nature, I also wanted to create something that would elevate the the community and the culture within the city. Cause we are like one of the cities, like it's us in LA when people think of America too. So like we're in a very conglomerate and like very like star on the map type of city where, there's no reason that parkour shouldn't be like a very well-known thing here um, and a very well-known accepted thing uh, 
that people do because there are so many more 14 and like 15 year olds that I'm meeting now that are starting parkour or have been doing it for like five years. And I started at 19. So for them to start at 10 and they've been doing it five years and they're like 15 now, that means that when they're my age, if they keep with it, they're going to be potentially like if this goes to like, or if they choose whatever sport, but I mean, they might be Olympic long jumpers, right? When they get to high school, if they do parkour at a young age. So the whole mentality is just to kind of like cultivate something that kids can come into if they don't have a team sport or something that they kind of already like, but they enjoy parkour and they don't know where to do it. It was meant to kind of get the kids that don't fit within the team sport range that parents can sign them up for. But then they also are kind of like in a range where if they're not the teams that they can be on, they have to try out for. So like, what if they don't want to be on a team, but they still want to do something right. Parkour is an outlet for those kids where um, they don't have to just have that idle time. And at the end of the day, it's keeping them fit, which is fun because like they don't realize how strong they're going to get if they start at a younger age and then keep doing it with all the resources now to, for like longevity and how to do it the right way. Um, like the the way that these kids will surpass us one day is going to be amazing. So uh, I just wanted to create something. Like the way that you're describing your experience with, uh, I'm going to say discovering and falling in love with parkour. um, I'm wondering, because you were talking about wanting to either recreate or to make sure that the opportunity still exists for others to experience that kind of discovery for themselves. And I'm wondering, like, is there, do you have a concern that, because parkour is becoming more, I'm going to say more visible. Like, you know, now we have World Chase Tech, now we have Wikipedia pages about it, and, you know, anybody can go to YouTube. Like, when you started, you had to be really proactive. You had to, like, get a hint that it existed and then really work to find a spot or another person or a video. And then you had to go out into the city. And, you know, often I think of Manhattan when I say New York, but New York is right. enormous and Manhattan's just one fifth of it. And there's a, a, a way that you are, you know, you specifically got brought up because you had to be that proactive seeker of your own path. And I'm just wondering, are you concerned that because it's so much easier now for, I hate to say kids these days, it's so much easier now for people to like get into it. Oh, mom saw them both and both of the schools and on a mailing and there's six things to choose from this summer. One of them is parkour. Like it's so easy. Are, are we going to lose something? Because kids are going to go like, eh, soccer, baseball, parkour. I guess I'll do Oh, parkour. no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. If anything, the parkour people my age and a little bit older are going to gain because we'll have more jobs. The market will be saturated and we'll be able to eat, which we've never done before. And we'll get the Lululemon sweatpants, Craig. No more Russell. Lululemon. Um, but then, you know, it'll just become so normal that it'll become like baseball. Right? And that would be awesome because then even like when, you know, I get to an age where maybe I'm not teaching – like every kid might know how to do a, a precision the right way at, at the end of this. And every kid might know how to do a lachet the right way where they don't peel off on the monkey bars, which is mm. the number one thing I see when I'm doing something in a, in a park with a kid or working in a playground. I see kids peel or parents tell me mm. all the time they fall off the monkey bars because they don't know how to let go and they peel off which is like, you know, a very simple thing to learn when you, you know, working with a a parkour coach, right? That's like maybe number one, number two, third thing you'll learn, but how to let go of a bar. But, um, 
With that said, no, I don't think we'll lose anything. I don't think we'll lose the passion for it. When I started, I was actually put on by my friend, and he brought me to uh, my first jam, which is where Mike and Shaw were and Ryan Doyle and a lot of other people back in the day. And that's where I made my first connections with the Manhattan community and people around. And then from there, it was pretty much just Facebook messaging on where the spots were. So um, even though it was still grassroots, uh, uh, the most proactive I think I had to be was just go on Facebook and and be like, Oh, Hey, anybody training today, this and that, or make a status. Um, So again, it was pretty easy for me, but I think we're going to gain more and uh, people that have been doing parkour that are coaches or want to be coaches are going to have more opportunity for work. And I think kids are going to just be able to be more well-rounded athletes. And again, with the, with the, the norm becoming like everyone does parkour the way everybody like is able to, you know, um, I don't walk. know. Yeah. Walk exactly. Right. <laughs> well, well and, I was just thinking not everybody can even walk though, but okay. Like, yeah, <laughs> We're sure, walking, like, you breathing, <laughs> right. Breathing while sleeping. Breathing in Australia, yes. But then the sleep apnea people. Uh Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking for every example, oh, man, we're not going to be able to publish this combo. We're hitting too many, but no, oh, no, push all the buttons. <laughs> um, I think with that, uh, it would also allude to like government being like more accepting of like the fact that parkour is an inherently dangerous thing, but so is again, just being in the playground that has sand in it, right? Like that can create a slippery surface. So Mm -hmm. that would allow more things to open up where we might get more parks. We might get more, um, leeway when it comes to, uh, partnerships with government agencies that were afraid to take on you know, something inherently fitness-based, but also so dynamic, it's like, oh, this might be a concern with injury. We're scared. It's scary to us because of liability. Maybe that will even the playing field where they'll be accepting of like, well, parkour is parkour, but like everybody loves it. So let's do it. And it'll, it'll provide, um, again, a lot more opportunities for, you know, people in my, my range too, who are like, trying to make a career out of it and trying to coach. Um, mm. And then kids will see that. And then if they want to be parkour coaches, it's something that they'll be able to do without having to kind of, I guess, go through certain trials and tribulations we did. They'll have more of a streamlined like internship route, right? Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned internship and I was just thinking there's a lot to be said for the trail has been blazed. You know, like it's one thing to go to a spot and, you know, my limited experience in New York City is like, yeah, I go to a spot and I have pretty good parkour vision and I look at things and then somebody shows them like, whoa, I, I hadn't even noticed that. And not because it's ridiculously out of my ability, but just because it's so much easier to like embrace a challenge when somebody else has, you know, tapped you on the shoulder and pointed. And these kids that you're talking about, if they see parkour at a younger age than you or I did and they see well, yeah, of course, I mean, the parkour coaching is a thing. I see parkour coaches at my school and the teachers talk to them like their peers and just normalizing all of those things. On, on one hand, Steve and I, we all love like parkour is this, you know, grungy, out, nobody, you know, where it's all like under the wire and out of the Oh, there's that and, segment of it too. There's yeah. definitely that. But, but like, that's we're enabled getting... by it being normalized. Right. Right, because that's the lifestyle that I think when you do it for a while, that's what you eventually end up. Like you go to a gym and you sleep in a hammock in the gym, 
because you want to be around the parkour vibes. You want to be like, that's part of the thing you do at a parkour jam where you like, you know, you go and you know, it's three days of training and like hard, you know, you're going to be sore and tired. You're going to be dirt bagging it a little bit. Like, but that's the beauty of like being in that element of it where now it's just like, you've been doing it. Like you're in the, you're in the thickest of what like parkour is. Um, but kids will have, a way to a window to that through parkour coaches or parkour peers in their daily lives or uh, showing them like, Oh yeah, no, like I don't just coach you. Like these are the kind of events we also do. Like there's NAPC and world chase tag. Mm-hmm. Like then it opens the door for like, wait, you mean you don't just, I don't just have to be a parkour. Like I could use parkour to potentially be athletic or go. And it's like, yeah, yeah. You're um, like, yeah, well, look at this over here. Like you're, you're like taking up the museum. Yeah, there's a whole wing. You know, there's a whole wing for this over here. Right, right. And I think that's going to uh, uh, allow this to grow in a way where it'll give back to us. Um, and I don't think we're going to have to worry about losing the authenticity of it, um, because if Madonna can reinvent herself as many times as she has, then parkour is going to be fine. <laughs> we got Modus, we got Store, we got Team Fat, we got all these guys pushing the envelope, and then we got guys who still are pushing the envelope, like Dom Tomato, Phil Doyle, um, you know, Daniel Ilabaka is still able to throw down. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like we have all these staples where it can be reinvented, but then even the ones that created the, the you know that brought the the marble stone to us to chip away at even those people are still like training uh their way and they don't feel ostracized because their way doesn't matter if it's different from the dynamic free running way because at the end of the day the mentality is all shared um and i think that's also part of the beauty that it's never really going to get parkour never really gets old to you um I think what happens is maybe you just, it's hard, like with all things, maybe sometimes we don't find as much joy from what uh, we originally did when we started. But I don't think that's the activity thing. I think that's something within us because sometimes the fire for parkour dims and then it's flickering and then, and then sometimes it's, you know, like a, it looks like California in the summer and then other, but then, um, you know, so, but, um, with any practice that's just on the practitioner too to go through but yeah i'm just i'm really happy that it's making waves the way it is and like i'm really happy that there are kids seeing the bigger picture of it too i hate to say it but i'm watching our time fly past um you know there are things we had you know had talked about some other topics and there's so many things we can talk about however this doesn't have to be the only one of these that we ever do I'm down um, to do a part two as well. Mm, um, I, do a part the, two. I just don't have Not the room tonight. 100% right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I will just say, and of course, the final question, three words to describe your practice. Patience. Fun. Joyful. Mm. I'm going to go with those. That's those. I would say those are three that I try to best describe my practice as like when I go out and and I do parkour, 
those are the three, even if it's just to hang out with the parkour people, those are the three things I try to make sure that I get away from training. Those are the three staples to me now. Terrific. Well, Let's Bryce, definitely do a part two, okay? Yes. Thank you so much for taking the time this evening, and I'll see you around. Thank you. Have a good one.